Hi guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bellati. Welcome back to yet another October episode. You guys know October is my favorite month, and so I am just so thrilled for you guys to hear this episode. I have decided to introduce a new concept here on the podcast, which is kind of uh, coupling two related yet uh, not so related things together in one episode. So I'll be talking today about ghosting in relationships flirtationships in just honestly in life, just being ghosted, what it feels like, the psychology behind it, and sharing a lot of your spooky dating stories. So that is the first half of the episode. And then the latter half of the episode, I'll be sharing a real life ghost story. So something in history that occurred that was pretty spooky. And to this day, people are still talking about it. And it's nothing too terrifying. If you are, you know, scared easily, don't worry. It's actually pretty, it's pretty cute, honestly. So we're going to get into that in the latter half of the episode, but I'm going to kick things off talking about ghosting in relationships. I was actually leafing through my journal the other day, kind of reflecting on what I was doing this time last year. I love doing that. I love when Snapchat reminds me, you know, the one year ago memories and things that I was up to this time last year because, you know, of course, a lot of growth happens in 12 months. So I was looking back at all that and I was taken back. I was transported back in time to this time last year in my dating life. And I distinctly recall this date that happened in like November or something. It wasn't quite October, but it was about a year ago. And it was one of those dates that I went on and I really felt good after it. I was like, wow, this guy, you know, we really click. It didn't seem like a force. It was really a good date. We really hit it off. We had good banter. We were texting. Things were great. And then there was a second date and promise of a third date. And lo and behold... As the title of this episode suggests, or the concept of this episode suggests, I was ghosted. And to be fair, I've done my fair share of ghosting on my end. I'm going to get into the psychology behind why people ghost, why it hurts so much to be ghosted and all those things, but I just want to be, of course, transparent here and say that I've done it myself. And, you know, it it definitely is hard on both ends because you ultimately are trying to let someone down easily by just you know skirting the scene but then you're also like on the receiving end of it it just stings to not have that closure and not know why someone was uninterested in you and why it didn't work out and all those things so it's hard on both ends but I distinctly remember this one in particular because if you guys are longtime podcast listeners you would know that this guy in question um, I saw him again like a few weeks later making out with some girl in the middle of this bar that I'd taken him to. So it's kind of an interesting twist to the story. I uh, did see him again, although New York is a very big place, big city, or like very condensed with people, I still saw him again somehow. Anyway, so that was the closure I needed, I guess. But that was the last time that I was ghosted and felt sad about it. Honestly, I've been ghosted also like in more recent months and you know in the past year and I was kind of like thankful for it because I guess part of me was like well one of us is gonna have to end this because clearly it's not really working and I'm kind of thankful that they just like never texted me again like that's definitely happened to me on multiple occasions where it's like one of us is gonna have to be the bad guy and I kind of hope it's you because it'll make it easier an easier pill to swallow you know um so I have so many 
questions for you guys, all rhetorical, obviously, because, you know, I am just talking to myself here. But also a lot of you guys have submitted your spooky ghosting dating stories that I'll be reading today and commenting on. So a lot of good stuff. I do want to start out with the psychology behind ghosting, why we do it, why it's something that people turn to in, you know, in contrast with just texting them and telling them the truth that, you know, it's not you, it's me, or the number of different things people say when they want a relationship to end. And, you know, I guess I honestly have been considering this for a while, just the concept of like, is it worse to receive a text saying, hey, we're just not compatible, or, you know, I am looking for something different. Like, is it better to receive one of those texts or to receive nothing and hate the person? Because I've been in the camp in the past before, honestly, before it's happened to me and I was sad about it, that it might be easier for them to hate me than know the truth that there's something, I don't want to say wrong with them, but, you know, it wasn't going to work out because of the compatibility. So I've definitely considered that. I think now that I have gotten older and more mature, I definitely am the type of person that is just honest because the odds that I will see this person again are pretty slim anyway, so I might as well just tell them the truth. Um, And at least they know, at least I can sleep better at night, that sort of thing. But I've definitely for a while thought that maybe it just might be easier for them to hate me, you know? So I want to talk about ghosting and the psychology point of view. So this is from a Psychology Today article by Jen Kim. I will have it linked in the show notes if you guys want to read the full thing. But essentially her POV here was, you know, people hate saying that they messed up. Or that something is wrong. Like people don't want to be the bearer of bad news. People don't want to admit that they maybe, you know, saw something in you and then like don't see it anymore or don't see this going anywhere. And our, you know, as a human human race, our unwillingness to say, quote, I was wrong has a biological basis, she says. So Elliot Aronson, author of, quote, Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me, this is a book, attributes this behavior to this thing called cognitive dissonance, which I think I've talked about before. Cognitive dissonance, that's a hard thing to say, Uh, which is a state of tension that occurs whenever a person holds two cognitions, ideas, or beliefs that are psychologically inconsistent. And the example that he gives to kind of illustrate this in a easier to digest way is around smoking. So we know that smoking is bad for us. Of course, science supports that idea, yet we still, not we, like as in me, but someone, a person, still continues to smoke several packs a day. Although they know the science, they know that smoking is bad. So the word dissonance, which I needed to look up because I wasn't quite positive what it meant. So dissonance means a tension or clash resulting from the combination of two disharmonious or unsuitable elements. So things that just don't really coincide, don't marry well together. Um, This is from the dictionary. And so the dissonance, you know, involved in a relationship that we have with ourselves maybe surrounding the concept of smoking, knowing it's bad, but doing it anyway, you know, it it causes us significant internal anguish, which we try to fix because we, you know, we know it's wrong, but we try to fix it by justifying it um, for ourselves. So in this example, we might try to quit smoking, maybe because we know it's bad, but if we fail to quit smoking, then we're going to try to 
you know, convince ourselves internally that we don't really need to quit because we got to make up some excuses for ourselves. Like, you know, smoking isn't all that bad. Like there's things that might be worse. Uh, You know, it helps me lose weight. If I smoke, I'm not going to eat. So like maybe it's a good thing. We try to justify it internally, even though we know it's, it's probably the reason, you know, being that we can't quit is because we don't have the willpower or a number of things, but we try to justify it. So in other words, our brains are naturally wired to think that we're right, even when we're not, even when all evidence points to we are not right. That's what Jen Kim says. So cognitive dissonance is what makes ghosting more and more common, she says. The more we excuse the behavior in ourselves, we convince ourselves it's just like what we should do. You know, the person would probably rather me ghost them than tell them the truth that they are terrible in bed or have bad breath or I don't know. You know, we justify it. We excuse the behavior in ourselves or others in themselves. The more and more we do this, the more we can, you know, convince ourselves that it's normal and it's acceptable. And over time, it becomes something that everyone is just doing. Like, I think, honestly, it's hard to find someone these days that hasn't been ghosted, either in a relationship or a friendship or a, an internet relationship where you, you know, slide in someone, someone's DMs to get coffee or something and they don't respond to you. You know, it's something that's becoming more and more common. And it really does go back to this whole concept of cognitive dissonance, knowing that something is wrong, you know, doing it anyway. And when we try to do what's right and fail, you know, we just, we justify it because, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. Like there's always something worse that we could have done. And so that's pretty toxic, honestly, if you don't already pick up on that, it's pretty toxic. So with ghosting, you know, have we just gotten used to it? Have we gotten used to it? Has it become a just an element of our culture? Is closure just not a common thing anymore? Is it worse to be told it's not you, it's me, or to be flat out ghosted? So I read this other article by the New York Times, I'll have this one linked as well, um, that there are various tiers to ghosting, this article says. There's number one, the lightweight tier. So this could be after maybe chatting virtually, maybe one meeting in passing, you know, saying we should meet up again and then ghosted. So you haven't actually really had a relationship form or anything super concrete or even remotely concrete. Two is the midweight tier when you've met a person a handful of times and you engage in, quote, deep avoidance, which hurts their feelings more. And then we got number three, which is heavyweight. So this is when you've entered a sexual relationship or a super physical romantic relationship and you leave blindsiding the other person. So it's interesting that there there are three tiers because I feel like in all the ways that I've ghosted someone, it's always been, I feel like, lightweight, which makes me feel a little bit better, but that's the cognitive dissonance, me convincing myself I'm fine, which honestly... I do regret these things that I've done and I have honestly tried to make a few of them better by apologizing, which I think is good for growth. Um, But I have honestly been heavyweight ghosted before um, and it sucks. It really does suck. And in the same article, um, studies have shown that social rejection of any kind activates the same pain pathways in the brain as physical pain, meaning there's biological links between rejection and pain. So honestly, the same, I guess the same like nerve endings, the same, you know, feelings are ignited within you when you experience literal physical pain of like touching a hot stove or something. It's very similar to the feeling that you get when you're rejected and ghosting is rejection in some way, shape or form. And so, you know, staying connected to other people 
in the sense of being on the same page and being romantically linked or just linked in friendship, linked in any way, shape, or form, has evolved over time as a human survival skill. That's what this article says. So naturally, when someone is ghosted, they feel threatened to their core because it just honestly dates back to the hunter and gatherer times to when you know the pack mentality was a big deal you had to stay with the pack you had to be well liked all these things you had to be respected and you know ghosting makes you feel like you're being left by your pack you're being left behind out in the cold to fend for yourself and make your own fires and sharpen your own arrowheads and all the things and so ghosting really I think ignites those kind of those long linked like human human feelings of rejection and feeling threatened and feeling just overall not so great so that is the science i'm going to read some dms from you guys of times when you've been ghosted or you've dealt with some really creepy crazy relationship stuff in this realm and we're going to talk about it okay first up we got i'm going to keep them all anonymous obviously Hey girl, ghosted relationship story. Oh, I got one. I met this guy at an industry party and instantly felt a connection. Before I could get his number, I thought he left the event, so I also left. Over the next two to three months, I ran into him at university or around town. Finally, one day, I worked up the courage and asked him out. Later that evening, we met for drinks and went out for five hours. So excited to finally spend time with him, and we went out the next weekend as well. Another long date. All was well, right? The next day, I asked him what his intentions were, and I said I saw him as more than a friend. He said it was complicated, and we'd talk about it next time. After a few days, he never got back to me and still hasn't. I'd run into him at bars, on the sea bus, etc. Little did he know that his friend had told me about his secret fiancé back in Europe. Well, honestly dodged a bullet there because that is just the most absurd thing I've ever heard. Secret fiance back in Europe and you're going on five hour long dates with people not that, that are not your fiance. <laughs> I see a lot wrong with that, but actually it's not the only DM that I got about like secret marriages and things, which is so messed up guys. Oh my God. I don't have faith in the world anymore. Okay. So the next one I'm going to read also a pretty relatable one. So I met this guy back home last December in a bar and he followed me on Insta. I slid into his DMs and we started talking almost every day and even started planning for him to come visit me in Boston. Then COVID hit and we decided it wasn't worth it for him to visit me until things settled down. Instead, we turned to movie dates and dinner dates all over FaceTime. He even started writing me letters, and I wrote back. It felt reminiscent of war movies, sending sweet messages and pictures back and forth. In June, he rebooked his flight and spent three days with me. It rained all weekend, but we made the most of it, and overall, it was really good. He cooked us dinner. I planned a picnic for us. Then I drive us both back to my hometown. We had one date there together before I had to go back to Boston. We texted and called a lot less for the next few weeks. By August, he had totally stopped responding to me. The weirdest part was how often he brought up the future while we were talking. Oh, and I helped him get into his grad school program. I proofread the shit out of that personal statement. And then she sent a, um, a sipping tea gif. And honestly, like, this breaks my heart just because it's definitely, like, this is definitely the highest tier of ghosting, I feel like. You know, when you really get that personal connection with someone, you show them the innermost, like, deepest things about you, and then they just, like, pull the rug out from under you and are like, psych. I mean, I my heart literally breaks for this situation, but I also think, like, I mean, I'm going to say it again, dodged a bullet because clearly, you know, I don't know. The way I see it with ghosting, like I said, I've done it, so I'm really not blameless here, but... When I am ghosted, 
I honestly am I'm thankful it happens usually in the beginning of the relationship before things get too serious because imagine dating someone for like eight months like seriously and like even moving in with them and then all of a sudden having them ghost you then I actually got some stories about that and that is just I can't even I mean that is even crazier nonetheless it's all crazy and all inexcusable and it really just shows that the person doesn't have the balls or the uterus to tell you the truth which needs to change I think because if we continue down this road of thinking it's okay and justifying it internally it's just gonna really hurt so many people so today's episode is brought to you by Angie Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. That was another story where I feel like it's just so relatable, especially over COVID. Like I think right now, especially like it's just so much easier for people to ghost because they can also like blame it on COVID too. If they don't maybe want to fully ghost, they want to just like make up a convenient lie. COVID gives them a real great opportunity to do that. But it also makes you worry. Like, are they okay? Are they sick? Like, worried about them so anyway okay let's read another one so this one actually comes with a title it's called the haunting of the bellboy so she says i do wedding planning and floral design and was working a wedding at a fancy hotel in san diego the bellhop that helped me the whole day was an extremely cute alternative guy and we had a great fun flirtation going on the entire wedding. At the end, he pulled me and my boss over and asked my boss if it was, quote, cheesy to give her my number. He gives me his number and we have great conversations over text. He texted me, how many carrots do you want on your wedding rings? You know, we went on the best date of my life, drinking rosé on the beach until 2 a.m., watching the stormy ocean and lightning. We hung out a couple more times and it was amazing. And then I completely stopped hearing from him. Two months later, I get a text from him. I respond even though I shouldn't have. And he then ghosted me again after I replied. Now, the bellboy is a running joke in my house and a great story. Could never find him on social media or anything. So this makes me feel like it's like a ghost situation. Like a real life, like spooky ghost. Like this guy like maybe doesn't exist and was like a ghost from like 1920 or something. Like it's it honestly gives me that vibe. Like I feel like this would be a good like TV show. Still a really shitty situation, obviously, and I honestly think you dodged a bullet here. So 
Okay, let's read another one. This one's actually when the tables are turned, she ghosts this guy. So I had a horrible one literally just now. I was talking to someone on Hinge and he was super nice. He wanted to speak on the phone pretty early on into talking and that was surprising and unusual to me. So I didn't respond to the call on the app. So on Hinge, if you guys have it, you can like call them through the app. So it's like you don't have to get their number. You can like literally call them through the app, which is kind of interesting. I don't think that maybe I would do that. Maybe some people do and and find success with it. I just like would rather meet up in person. Again, not always a good thing, especially in these times, but regardless. Okay, so she didn't respond to the call on the app and took a few days to think about what I wanted to say slash if I would call him back. I've only ever had guys want to talk over the app, on social, text, phone is so rare and sort of endearing, but also scary. So I ghosted him. Yes, I know bad, but I had an epiphany today and was like, what am I doing? He's a nice guy and that's actually making effort and I'm sabotaging myself. So I went back on the app and he completely disappeared. My own fault, like why did I do that? He's probably lost forever. What if he was the one? So I have several thoughts surrounding this one. First of all, Like I said, I've admitted that I've ghosted before. Does it make you a really bad person? Not necessarily. Is it a bad thing? Yes, but you can definitely learn from this and know. I mean, honestly, I don't even consider this like the highest degree of ghosting. This is definitely like number one. But just, you know, it's it's what you do from here and how you handle things moving forward and whatever. So don't beat yourself up about it. But honestly, phone calls scare me too. Like I feel like it's just so much easier to talk to someone in person. I mean, people might disagree with this. People might find, you know, talking on the phone to be way easier for them if they, you know, can have some notes handy or like can't see their face when they're talking. Like, I don't know. For me, I really would be creeped out by doing a phone date. And that's just a personal thing. Like I feel like everyone, takes this differently but I don't blame you for not wanting to chat on the phone when all you've really been used to is talking to someone over the apps or on social media or texting first and like I think it's a natural progression usually for me I'll go from the dating apps to texting to you know getting together a plan to meet up and go from there and that's usually what I think is best for me and so you know phone calls could be scary so don't feel bad about that either but I overall think you know if it was meant to be, like, don't worry about, like, neglecting to find, like, the one, you know, because if it was meant to be, he wouldn't have taken that as, like, an end-all, be-all, we can't be together. I always think about my parents' relationship because my mom famously tells us that she rejected my dad, like, five times before saying yes to going on a date with him, so rejection shouldn't stop someone. If, If they are the one, they won't stop trying or they won't stop trying to figure out a way to get through to you, That sounds creepy, but like finding maybe a different way. Like if you clearly don't want to talk to him on the phone, maybe he could propose a different thing to do or I don't know. So don't beat yourself up about that either. Um, But yeah, like I said, it's a learning experience. You learn through this and know that maybe like you don't want to do that next time or like, I don't know. So yeah, that was a good story though. Thank you for sharing that. This episode of Thick and Thin is sponsored by Gladskin. And let me tell you a little bit about them. So I personally don't know about you guys, but I love good news in my life. And earlier this year, I made a YouTube video where I opened up about my biggest insecurities. It was super difficult for me to film, but I felt like it would really help so many people. And it really did. And the video was actually all about my struggles with eczema, which has bugged me for years. I've had the most horrendous, just painful eczema on my hands, on my arms, on my face, under my eyes, just really 
in various parts of my body and it's been a massive insecurity of mine. I've had to cover up my body with clothing and just different accessories, just being so fearful that people would see my eczema and not to mention it was super uncomfortable. And I discovered Gladskin Eczema Cream about like six months ago I think now and it's really changed my life. Gladskin scientists actually found that nearly all people with eczema have a bacterial imbalance in their skin meaning their skin's microbiome is just out of whack and Gladskin eczema cream with microbalance is so much more than just another moisturizer on the shelf. It works by rebalancing your skin's microbiome and providing relief from that itchy redness situation that I just I know so well because I've experienced it my whole life with eczema and I I noticed a huge transformation in my skin after only two days of using it. It's just amazing how quickly and efficiently it works. Um, it's a really unique product and I've noticed so much change in my skin. I use it twice a day or more than that sometimes and it's just really unique. It's um, already been a proven solution for eczema relief in Europe for five years and it just became available in the U.S. this year. Wish I knew about it sooner. It's different from steroids and traditional over-the-counter moisturizers because they don't rebalance the skin's microbiome. What's worse, they actually contain preservatives which kills all the bacteria, even the good bacteria that's needed for healthy skin. So I like to say that Glad Skin works smarter, not harder, making it safe for everyone, even little babies as young as three months old. You just apply it twice a day, daily, even on sensitive areas like eyelids. I get it super bad right underneath my eyes and it's a really sensitive area and I don't find that it really irritates my skin at all. It doesn't at all. I have very sensitive skin. And even when your skin feels fine or you have no flare-ups, it's good just to use as a moisturizer. Um, it can be used proactively to keep eczema under control and you can't overuse it. That's not a thing. So it's free of steroids, fragrances, preservatives, and drying alcohols. It's been clinically proven to reduce eczema itch and redness. And there are no drug side effects. It's been clinically tested. It's hypoallergenic, dermatologist recommended, and accepted by the National Eczema Association. And you can get it shipped right to your door at gladskin.com and it's backed by the gladness guarantee you can try it risk-free for 60 days love it or your money back if you guys suffer from eczema or know someone that does definitely try out Gladskin. i have been such a proponent of it for so long because i believe that it truly does work and i use it myself twice a day so be sure to check it out get some for yourself and use my code katie 10 that's k-a-t-y 10 for 10 percent off any 35 dollars plus Gladskin purchase and that includes standard free shipping so use my code k-a-t-y 10 on gladskin.com for 10% off. Okay, we have another one. So met a guy on Bumble who was in the Navy and I didn't do enough social media stalking and I didn't know his last name to look him up prior. I literally hate nothing more than when guys on dating apps don't put their last name. I get why they don't do it. Like I get why they want to keep that private. But like, I mean, usually when you match with someone, it'll like show their last name. It like doesn't show it, of course, right off the bat. But when you, if you match and it's mutual, then they show your last name, but there's still an option to not show it at all. But I, I hate that because I, I don't want to like fully know everything about you, of course, but I want to just like kind of run your name through Google, make sure there's no like warrants out for your arrest or anything. Like, I don't know, make sure you are who you say you are on social media. Um, I don't know. I just like to see the last name, you know? So it's definitely a red flag to me when they don't put it in their thing. I'm like, wait, so what are you trying to hide here? Like, that's always my thought. So anyway, so they didn't have the last name posted on their profile. So 
She says, we talked for about a week. We went out to dinner in my town and I knew everyone at the other tables. It was a small restaurant and it was so bad. He was talking so loud and swearing every other word. He was telling me his childhood story about how his parents abandoned him and everyone at the other tables could hear. I finally figured out his last name after our terrible date and I looked him up and in all caps, he is married. Oh my God, that's a train wreck. I'm telling you, like, having no last name in your profile like boys if you're listening to this maybe even girls like it is kind of a little bit of a red flag I feel like it definitely I mean it could be like a safety thing or whatever but I don't know I always think to myself okay there's a reason they don't have their last name on their profile I am sketched out by this so I'm sorry that this happened to you Um, I'm not gonna say your name but That's unfortunate. And honestly, again, once again, I'm going to say it, you dodged a bullet. Okay, this one is definition of spooky. So one of my friends was once swiping on Tinder, as you do. She matched with a fun-looking guy who sent her a message, and they started talking. After a while, like one day of talking, he said he needed to ask her for some advice. She, being the sweet person that she is, told him that he could ask her anything, but girl, all caps, he wanted legal advice because his friend killed someone and needed a lawyer. My friend was in her second year of law school, which was in her Tinder bio, so he somehow thought that she would be capable of representing someone in court. I swear to God, some men are so weird because she declined his offer, quote, offer. He proceeded to ask her on a date. I mean, they certainly would have had something to talk about at dinner, but still, why the hell would you ask someone for legal advice on Tinder? So for the sake of everyone involved in this, I hope that this is just like one big joke and not real um, because that sounds just like honestly unbelievable, unbelievable. But again, dodged a bullet, I guess literally and figuratively, I don't know. But anyway, hope all is well there. And this guy is behind bars because that is concerning. So we're going to read one more. Um, This one's short but sweet, or I guess not so sweet, but it is short and it is absurd. So it says, a guy tried to take me to small claims court and sue me for all the money he spent on our dates. Very spooky, period. And that, my friends, is just, I mean, it's just absurd. I mean, some people just don't take rejection well. You guys know, I, I in my Reddit fun facts I've been reading you guys, um, I read one very similar to that, I think a couple of weeks ago, and it's just, it's just crazy to me. Small claims court. Someone had a good laugh over this one, I bet. So regardless, those are the stories, the ghost stories I wanted to share for the beginning part of our episode. And for the sake of kind of wrapping things up in a pretty concise, you know, package with a nice bow on top, I just want to say that if you are the victim of ghosting or the person who's doing the ghosting and, you know, I don't know. Regardless, I think it's just important for us to remember our humanity in these moments and remember that no one is perfect. And usually when you're ghosted, it's kind of like a blessing in disguise because clearly the other person was not willing to have you as you are and would you really want to be in a relationship with someone that you know and you weren't fully being yourself you weren't fully like for me you know when I was ghosted this time or you know last time this time last year rather 
I, you know, just considered all the things that I'm not. And I was like, you know, am I not good enough for him? Like, what did I say? I replayed everything I'd ever said to him, everything I ever did. And I was like, oh, you know, there's clearly a reason for this. And there's a reason, there's a reason. There isn't always a reason. Some people just, shit happens and people just decide to pull the plug on things and maybe they regret it, maybe they don't. It doesn't really matter because it's over, it is what it is, and you move on. And like all things, you know, you just, you learn from this, you take this with you into your next endeavor you remember but not too much and you move on regardless of which side you're on you move on and you hope and you try to be better next time if you're the one ghosting and if you're being ghosted you just keep your head up and know that it's not your fault that you did nothing wrong and that that person just wasn't able to wasn't able to see the goodness of you and that's a cry and shame honestly so yeah, that uh, concludes our very first ghosting segment. I'm going to actually move very seamlessly into our ad. And then after that, we're going to talk about a real life ghost story, the pink lady from Grove Park Inn. So this episode of Thick and Thin is sponsored by Skillshare. You guys know I've talked a lot about Skillshare. I always am quick to recommend it to people that are looking to just sharpen up their skills and get better at their craft, whatever it may be. And Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people like you and me. Explore new skills. You can deepen existing passions and just get lost in your creativity. I'm constantly encouraging my friends and you guys alike to sign up for Skillshare because I truly think that it is a great community, a really great thing to be a part of, and you are constantly learning something new. The next class on my list from Skillshare that I'll be taking is called Productivity Masterclass, Principles and Tools to Boost Your Productivity, taught by Ali Abdal. So excited to take this one. I think it's definitely really relevant, especially during the time that we're living in. So definitely check out that class. I'll be taking it. But essentially a little bit more about Skillshare. They offer creative classes that are designed for real life and all the circumstances that come along with it. They offer meaningful membership. There's so much to explore, so many real projects to create and work on, and support from fellow creatives. So Skillshare really does empower you to accomplish real growth. They have classes that fit your schedule and your skill level, and members get unlimited access to thousands of inspiring classes. And of course, per usual, I have a special deal for you guys. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash T-A-N-D-T. And the first 1,000 people to use my link will get a free trial of Skillshare Premium Membership. You can receive free access to thousands of classes for a limited time. Be one of the first 1,000 to sign up at Skillshare.com slash T-A-N as in Nevada, D-T. So check it out and let me know how it goes. So before I get into the meat and potatoes of this story... I do want to say that, you know, I've had a real life kind of slight ghost encounter in my life. I don't know if I've ever discussed this on social media, but it actually, so technically speaking, if we're getting technical here, I wasn't the one to witness it, but it was in my house back in college. So for many of you guys who weren't following me back then, just to describe my house, it was kind of like an an old Southern style, like for lack of a better way to put it, plantation house. Um, I know the implications of that aren't great now, but that's kind of the style of the house. So it was a very old, you know, big wraparound porch style house. And it was just old, okay? It was pretty gross, honestly. Like we tried our best to spruce it up, but it was kind of an, a really old house. I, I don't even know when it was built, probably like the early 1900s. And so we lived there for about two years, I think like a year and a half, 
we'll say two years. It was like two grades, but I was abroad for part of it. But anyway, doesn't matter. So I'm in class one day and I get a phone call from my roommate and I'm in class. So I'm like, why are you calling me? You know, I'm in class. I text her furiously from my computer and I'm like, Mia, I'm in class. You know, not to call me when I'm in class. My phone's like buzzing up a storm in my bag. She's like, Katie, it's an emergency. And I'm like, okay, well, what, what's going on? I'm like, what's, what is it about? And she's like, the house the house like something is going on I just felt an extreme chill and she's like laying on the couch she's hung over or something and looks up and sees a ghost literally sees a phantom of a man she describes him as being like six or seven feet tall rather like very tall very lanky wearing a blue button-down shirt and a hat and like is just creeping her the fuck out for lack of a better way to put it and yeah, she described this ghost encounter. And this was actually, this was like junior year. So it was like early on in us living there. And ever since we, we just had all these inexplicable things happen in the house and like weird feelings of it being really cold all of a sudden, even in the dead of like summer. And we attributed it to this, this ghost that we lived with. We, I don't remember what we named him. I think it was like uncle Bob or something. We like named him something weird, but yeah, that was like as close as I got to a ghost encounter. She physically saw the ghost. She actually also dropped one of our glasses when this happened and shattered it on the floor. Emma's, she begged me to come home from class early so I could help her through this. And I did. And that's like the only real ghost story that I have. But I want to share this story that I dug up about a hotel ghost, which I think is just so cool. And honestly, I I love ghosts and I love paranormal stuff. So this really uh, tickles my fancy, this whole story about the pink lady at Grove Park Inn. And our story actually takes place in North Carolina, where I had my ghost encounter because I went to school in North Carolina. So it's kind of, you know, it really uh, runs deep. Okay. So let me set the stage for you. In a sleepy North Carolina town nestled in mountains of greenery and southern foliage, there is a centuries-old hotel with red shingles called the Grove Park Inn. Built in 1913, countless dazzling parties have been hosted at the inn and a number of famous guests have stayed within its walls. Ten presidents from Woodrow Wilson to Barack Obama, as well as Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, Harry Houdini, and F. Scott Fitzgerald have stayed at the inn. One notable party guest, however, has never left even after 90 years. The hotel staff refers to her as the Pink Lady, and she's not really a person. She is a ghost. It was the early 1920s, and a young woman in a pink gown was staying with a registered guest in room 545 before plummeting to her death from the balcony. And no one was able to figure out her identity because she was not registered as a guest. She was a guest of a registered guest, if that makes sense. Rumor has it that the pink lady was a servant girl in a local home who was having an affair with the man of the house. When he learned that she was pregnant with his child, he pushed her over the balcony to keep their affair a secret. And according to hotel staff, the corpse lay on the floor below the balcony, still clad in her pink evening gown, and was hastily rolled up in the rug beneath her, never to be seen again. And ever since, she has haunted the inn. So there's a lot of different testimonies from people that work at the inn, from guests of sensing her presence. So here is one from the bellman, Dave Burgum. He says, it was 3 a.m. in front of the fireplace. A lady showed up and I took a photo. She was not there. The next picture, she was there, and then she disappeared altogether. 
Some see the pink lady in the form of a thick pinkish smoke near room 545, and others have spotted her downstairs in the lobby spending time near the fireplace. She's apparently a friendly yet sad, mischievous ghost who loves to pull pranks on the guests and staff of the hotel, often turning off lights, closing doors, and generally just watching over the happenings at the hotel. She is always present. And for a while, the staff of the Grove Park Inn was actually instructed to suppress any stories about the Pink Lady because management didn't want to frighten away any prospective guests. But actually, over the years, many guests have actually requested to stay in room 545 precisely because of the Pink Lady. Honestly, I would too. Like, I would totally stay there. I watched a YouTube video of someone taking us on a tour of the room and like showing the room and talking about it and honestly I'm so into that stuff that I would so stay somewhere that's haunted. I asked my roommate Julia about it and I was like would you knowing a room is haunted and I didn't even get to finish the sentence because she was like no absolutely not absolutely not. So here I am asking you would you stay in a room if you knew it was haunted by maybe not like a mean ghost but just a ghost in general. Would you stay there? That's my question for you. Anyway we have some more testimonies that were really interesting about people seeing or sightings of the pink lady so I want to read those to you guys. So a painter who worked in the hotel from the 50s through the 80s told this story. Back in the late 50s or early 60s, the hotel used to shut down during the winter months and that's when we caught up on painting. One cloudy, gloomy day back then, I was checking on some of the guys' work and as I got closer to 545, I got cold chills that got worse the closer I got to the door. I got so bad I couldn't work up the courage to go inside at all. In fact, my last day at the hotel, I never did go back to that room. I sent my boys in there instead. So another story, the hotel's engineering facilities manager manager had a very similar experience in the same room more than three decades later. One day in early 1995, I was on my way to check a recent bathtub resurfacing in room 545. As I approached the room, my hair suddenly lifted from my scalp and stood on end on my arms. Simultaneously, I felt a very uncomfortable cold rush across my whole body. I didn't go in, I haven't gone back, and I don't ever intend to. Neither the painter nor the engineering facilities manager knew of each other's experience or about room 45's connection to the pink lady. The manager of Elaine's, the Grove Park Inn's nightclub, who has seen the pink lady several times over the past five years, says, quote, it's like a real dense smoke, a pinkish pastel that just flows. At 4 a.m. New Year's Eve, there was a visit by the pink lady to the inn's accounting office where she was seen by two employees after an office party. We heard someone come in the back door. We looked up and she went by really fast, a woman dressed in party clothes. We thought it was a guest, so we got up to help her. Then she was gone in a flash. One doctor reportedly left a note for the hotel staff expressing his gratitude to a woman in a pink dress because his children had such a nice time playing with her during their stay. Honestly, so spooky, but in such a good way. I love all of these little stories. And overall, maybe someday I'll have to stay in this hotel and see the pink lady myself. So yeah, that's my little uh, ghost story for this episode. I do want to share something good with you guys, something joyful, because I know, you know, talking about ghosting and spooky stories can, you know, leave some people feeling a little bit on edge. So I'm going to infuse some joy into your life, into our lives with this uh, Cleo Wade quote that I want to end with. So 
basically, if you don't know Cleo Wade, she's an incredible writer. I think she's also considered like an activist. What else? What does it say in her bio? It says, um, she works to build community. She writes books about living and loving, um, heart talk and where to begin. That's her book available wherever you buy your books. She's in New York. So I love following her. She's one of my favorite people to follow. Cleo Wade, C-L-E-O-W-A-D-E. Definitely check her out if you don't already know her. But she said this quote, and it really did resonate with me. I've had it screenshotted as my background for a bit. And it says, Oftentimes, when the world feels chaotic, we begin to feel as if it is somehow inappropriate to have joy. Have your joy. Joy is a form of radical self-care. Joy energizes us to take on even the most difficult circumstances. When we have joy, especially in the midst of challenging times, we are saying to the world, I will define the current state of the world around me instead of allowing it to define me. Today, regardless of what is happening, empower yourself by embracing your joy. And in her caption, she says, Joy feels like it is something we're not allowed to have this year. Are we allowed to have joy in the midst of so much loss, frustration, and injustice as we cope with the hard truths many of us are reckoning with about our country? Joy, even the smallest moment of it, is still possible. Joy is still important. Joy fuels us with the energy and perspective we need to keep going through tough times. Whether it is the three-minute dance break in your bathroom, an extra glass of wine on FaceTime with your girlfriends, staying in bed a little longer than usual, cuddling with your pet, partner, or kids, have joy. Know that you not only deserve joy in times like this, you need it. We all need it. It is a part of our survival. Tell me, how are you finding moments of joy right now? Is there something you can do today to find joy? So this caption, this post in general, really made me think because I have felt in recent weeks, recent months, you know, just this year in general, kind of guilty for moments of happiness, moments of bliss that I've experienced just in little mundane things that I love to do. And, you know, I'm always like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling like this. Like we're going through this hard time as a country, you know, gearing up to the election and like, you know, people are suffering, people are struggling, like, you know, but I think that it's important for us all to value joy and to know how important it is to have in our lives because it is what gets us through and it is what empowers us to be better members of society and more helpful with what's going on. So anyway, I just wanted to leave that with you guys today as our parting remark, just something I had saved on my phone that I wanted to share. And so yeah, guys, that is it for our episode today. As always, if you are a U.S. resident and over the age of 18, definitely make sure you are registered slash have voted slash have gotten your absentee ballot, all the things. Make sure you have your voting plan together because we are in crunch time. I watched the debate last night, the uh, VP debate, and it was quite interesting. I have a lot of thoughts, which I shared a little bit on Instagram about, but Overall, just make sure you're registered to vote so you can exercise your right. I just dropped my ballot in the mail yesterday. I like walked myself to the post office because I like just don't trust my mailbox. Like I was like, I need to drop this off at the post office. Like I was that hype about it. Um, But yeah, make sure you're following all the rules for your state. And yeah, that's it for this episode, guys. I will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.